Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefers Initiative. This is the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy the show. So, welcome everybody. THB is back for 2022. This is episode 146. Uh, as you can see, or if you were listening to the audio version, Jake is not here. He is sick. He decided to start off 2022 right and probably got Rona again. Um, so, Phil is here. Hello. Filling in. <laughs> Never gets so, old. As he does so well. I try. And, uh, yeah, so this is going to be a, an, an awesome episode. Uh, if anyone's been on social media, as far as you know, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you've probably seen some of the new uh, habitats from Leap Habitats. So this episode, we are joined by Mr. Tim Marks and Frank Payne. And uh, I've wanted to have Frank on for a really long time. So we're definitely going to have to do another episode with Frank at some point because I want to talk about carpet chameleons and Europlatus and... Uh, but since Frank is involved well, with Leap to a degree, I figured, why not? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I keep Carpet Chameleons and Europlatus, so you got two yeah. guys you on go. the show right now that absolutely yep. love those species, so we're happy to talk about them now, I'm sure. Awesome. That's for sure. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, the brand is Leap Habitats. Um, nothing is available yet, but you guys are planning to drop stuff come March, I think is the plan right now. Yep, the target is March. Um, the uh, putting everything together. I mean, at one point there was uh, the hope that we would be ready in November, um, but uh, with the container crunch and everything else, at this point, just to play it safe, you can only launch a brand once. I'd rather launch it with all of our <laughs> products in stock, and so uh, we chose March. I got you. Yeah, I live near Savannah, Georgia, and the port down there. The amount of containers and stuff they have. We were driving over there the other day, actually, and it was like, holy smokes. I've never seen the port that jam full of, of stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. And uh, But it's just getting to the sort of the general Cliff Notes version of, of the background information and stuff. You know, we can start with, with Tim and sort of how you got uh, yeah. all that good stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um so I've been keeping reptiles for about 25 years. Um, I'm 39 years old. Uh, so that means I was, you know, in my teens. Um, I was just saying to you guys before the show started, one of my passions early on was the coleonics genus of, uh, of Eublepharids. Um, kept a bunch of those, uh, more or less all of them. I think I didn't have elegans and of course not reticulatus and matratus. Um, and, uh, also a bunch of gecko or a bunch of chameleons at that time there was a I, unfortunately i actually got into the hobby in general the year that madagascar closed so it was probably like mm -hmm. 1995 and so i got to talk to all the guys that had parsons chameleons and all these other crazy chameleons and i even knew some people that were this is in 1995 a gentleman named bob sheban out in long island that was breeding minor um but uh, I didn't get to see any of them, um, at least not in the Northeast. It was just, uh, you know, it was just too difficult to, I, out in California, I'm sure I would have been able to see those kind of chameleons for years after the Madagascar ban, but in the Northeast, it's just not like that. Um, but uh, what I did get into was I had a panther chameleon as a pet, a leopard gecko as a pet. That was my introduction into the hobby. 
and um, that quickly grew as it always does um, over the next few years to keeping a bunch of montane chameleons. So I had um, uh, quadricornis uh, montium, a species known as Wiedersheimai back then, which I think we recognize as Peretti nowadays. Um, although I'm not exactly sure if they are the same species. I think it's a different species. Yeah, they I look think. different. That's for yeah, sure. I think they are. Um, so I, I was su- able to successfully breed Montium and uh, the Wiedersheimai back then. I was never able to get Quadricornis to court ever, not once. Uh, they just had no interest in one another, whereas the Montiums were really easy and the Wiedersheimai too. And one cool thing about those species is they had no problem laying their eggs in a flower pot um, or a plant pot. They would just climb right in the bottom of their plant and uh, and dig their eggs. Um, so, you know, never had a fem- lost a female to egg binding or anything like that. Um, this was at a time when the Chameleon Information Network, the CIN, was very popular. Um, and uh, I avidly devoured every you know, issue that, that would come to my door. I bought all the back issues. Um, the Vivarium magazine was out back then, Philippe de Vosely, Um And uh, as well as the, the way I got into reptiles actually was one of the introduction to reptiles in the back of Tropical Fish Hobbyist magazine because I was in the aquariums before that. Um, so uh, yeah, long story short, I ended up with a bunch of geckos, a bunch of chameleons, dabbled in phylomedusids, um, an awesome group of frogs, in my opinion. And then, uh, and then kind of like, all of a sudden, as a kid, my, you know, this is like six years later, my interest started to shift back to aquariums, and I got into saltwater reef aquariums, and went to college and started a career in the saltwater aquarium industry. Um, that's awesome. And that's, that's when I built ecotech marine which uh which you know we can talk about because it's kind of like the birthplace of leap yeah it's crazy how many people start or the kids start off with whether it's just a goldfish in a bowl or like an actual 10 gallon you know freshwater tank and it kind of just snowballs from there i feel like moms and dads are uh, uh less apprehensive to do like a little fish tank from from petco than they are to say get like a bearded dragon or something so it's, it's always mm-hmm. funny how how many of us started as fish people and you know it evolves i i remember when i when i read the article on leopard geckos in the back of tropical fish obvious i felt a little bit of guilt um a little bit of shame even to go talk to my mom about like i think i'm into something new um i hope yeah. you, you know i i hope that doesn't make you feel like you know you supporting me with all these aquariums was a bad decision yeah uh, but uh but yeah i mean i i feel like so coming from the aquarium industry and going to the, uh, well, I was fish, then reptiles, then fish, then reptiles for the past 30 years, right? But, but most recently, professionally, coming from the aquarium industry and going into the reptile industry, I've seen about 30% overlap. Like 30% of the reptile people I talk to Sounds about right. have been pretty serious fish keepers, whether it be mm-hmm. a saltwater tank or a planted tank, but pretty serious. And then at some point they decided reptiles are more fun, which is where I'm at. That's great, man. That's awesome. Frank, uh, I feel like most of the people listening to this have either listened to your amazing episode on Lizard Brain or they were following you from, you know, the magazine stuff or just like what Justin and I put out on Instagram. But you want to give a little quick thing about yourself? 
Sure. I'll try to be quick. I'm not very good at that. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. Of course. Uh, yeah. So but actually um, real quick, I'll, I'll even say that it very, very, uh, it's infrequent that I will cherry pick segments after I listen to a complete podcast, but that one you did with Bill, I went back and I didn't listen to the whole thing cause I, I don't have that much time to do it, but I was like, Oh yeah. 242 go back to that you know so it was a great show anybody listening check out lizard brain radio with frank because it was always a great show oh well thank you um well geez uh so my name is frank Payne. i uh, have been keeping reptiles for about the same time as tim we're pretty much the same age uh so like 25 years plus at this point i've just i've been obsessed with reptiles my entire life so i say 25 years plus but that's like when i started seriously keeping reptiles I've had reptiles in my home since I can remember since I was three, you know, like literally my whole life, I've just been obsessed with reptiles um, all through high school and everything. And then even while I was in college getting my bio degree, um, I started working summers at uh, Clyde Peeling's Reptiland, which is a, a great small, but AZA uh, zoo that's focuses on reptiles. They have one of the, the best collections of reptiles in the, in the AZA. And they're very well respected um, for what they do with reptiles uh, in the zoo field. So I was very lucky to work for them while I was getting my degree. And then after I graduated, they said, Clyde was like, please come join us full time. So I did. Um, One of the awesome things that Clyde does, uh, the peelings do, is they build exhibits because they are just so, so good at it, at building naturalistic displays for other zoos and other museums. And so one of the, the most amazing things that I got to do was for several years after I graduated college was travel around the country, staff these exhibits of live animals of so many, a huge variety, and basically just take care of animals seven days a week in New York City and Miami and Chicago and Sacramento and like, you know, on and on and get to train people to do that. And, and it was just incredible. It was a wonderful experience that I got to do for for several years and if you can imagine you know a guy in early 20s traveling the country getting to hang out with reptiles and just see the you know country is the is the the best gig ever for me yeah it's awesome uh, that's a dream yeah, dream herper's job you know it, it really was um and a couple personal issues came up where i decided to uh switch careers and um became a teacher i i do love teaching very much you know that was one of my favorite parts of being a zookeeper was the education aspect um, so I decided to become a science teacher, which I've been doing for 15 years. I worked at the zoo part time for like, even as I became a teacher, I did every summer there for like seven years, even after I left the zoo full time, you know, just helping out wherever I could the whole time, keeping animals in my own personal collection, uh, even while doing the professional stuff. Um, and it's always been fairly small scale at home, just like a small, you know, I say small scale, but we're talking like at minimum 50 animals at a time, you know? Uh, but then like the past five, seven, eight years, something like that, I can't keep track. Um, it's turned into more of a business and it's just kind of snowballing and getting bigger and bigger. And, um, it seems to be a little bit, you know, more recognized by people a little bit more every year and it's just going really well and it just keeps expanding and taking over my life. And it's just a dream come true. Honestly, don't fight it. Let it happen. Yeah, I'd, just just rolling with it, you know. Like I'm super tired all the time because of how how much I'm doing. But man, it's like it's 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 all the most amazing stuff. So very lucky. Side note: What do you find is harder to teach, middle school or high school? Middle school. 
by a country mile, as they say. Really? It's uh, oh yeah, it's um, hormones, man. Hormones. Yeah, that's, that's true. The, with with so I, I make this joke all the time that with the hormones that are pumping through their body that are brand new, they're not even the same species as us. They're different species <laughs> of animal, right? They haven't. Yeah. Those hormones have have turned them into something else for several years. And our job as middle school teachers is to not let them destroy themselves and the world around them and to guide them on the right path so that those hormones balance out and then they become human beings again and, and all and all that. It's right. a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Like they middle schoolers they, they do love to learn way more than high schoolers do. They're not as apathetic. Um, the energy level is there. It, that part is great, but it's just they're just bouncing off the walls. You know, high schoolers are just a bit more sedate and a little bit more yeah adult i guess yeah i have an eight-year-old and i'm already mentally preparing myself for for those years 12 to 14 man it's brutal it's brutal uh, yeah i have a seven-year-old so <laughs> six i have an eight-year-old girl i should say so i'm i'm really yeah, me too and seven and frank as well so we're all six-year-old all girl yeah in line for hell maybe we, yeah. yeah we can start a therapy group or something when when i was 14 i took a family vacation and i was just a total jerk to my parents the whole time and to this day i'm I'm 35 now to this day i still apologize like once a year i'm like hey remember that trip we took back and you know whatever i'm really sorry that i was that way there there are so many times i think about these specific moments in my childhood that i absolutely remember where i was just a little piece of you know what and and I see it in my kids, and I'm just like, why? Why did I do that? <laughs> I, for me, like parenting wise, it's, it seems like the longer I go, the more I understand why my parents did what they did, you know, at the time, and like mm-hmm. how odd it is to be. I mean, I, I just turned 31, but to be young and young-ish, I should say, and and be a parent, and then realizing your parents pretty much went through the same thing at the same age, but not. You know, when you were little, they seemed much older and much more. I don't know how to describe it. And so now you're a grown up. You don't understand. It's crazy. Yeah, they seem like adults. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. How did, uh, how did, what was the decision as far as starting Leap? And, you know, you you talk about the aquarium community and stuff. Like, at what point did you say we should, we should delve into the, the herp world? Right. So, so within the aquarium, like we're entrepreneurial people at uh, Ecotech. Um, it's, it's owned by myself. Well, it's different now, but, but it was started by myself and two other guys. And then we merged with another gentleman and all of us are about the same age and we're extremely entrepreneurial people. None of us have had a real job and half of us haven't finished school. Um, and, uh, and, you know, now we're running or, you know, and then we, we started this company and we, we ran it for 15 years, um, and, uh, and longer now, you know, it's 20 years, um, building aquarium products, building smart aquarium products that work on your iPhone that you can connect to and, and remotely control and building our own circuit boards in house and, you know, acting as a manufacturer, quality control systems, customer service. Um, it got to a point for me as a director of manufacturing where I had a little bit of time to dabble and uh, pursue a bit of my own entrepreneurial spirit within the, the space of ecotech. And at that time, about five years ago, Madagascar reopened. Um, 
And so, you know, wouldn't you know, it caught my fancy. Um, I, I recall actually being like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what the chameleon world is up to right now. And I went on Facebook and I went to a group and I found out that people are buying Parsons chameleons right now. And that was it. I mean, I had to get one. Um, I had to get a yellow lip. And, uh, and so that just sucked me back in. And uh, I told the guys, look, we're getting a pet chameleon. I'm going to build a beautiful enclosure for it. I built a huge, uh, like six by six by 36 inch um, enclosure for it. And, uh, um, you know, had it in the office and everyone was like, cool, pet chameleon. Way to go, Tim. This is interesting. But little did they know that wasn't going to be the end of it. So before we knew it, there was an entire wall in the sales room, like 20 feet long with baker's racks full of all the other chameleons and Europlatus that I had acquired over the next six months, maybe after that first <laughs> Parsons chameleon. Go <laughs> bigger, go home. Yeah, it was, it was bad. I got the, I got the bug real bad. And then um, again, they let me do it. I mean, my business partners are phenomenal. They, they let me do it and they let me hire an intern to help me maintain the collection so that I could still act as the uh, director of manufacturing and, and be responsible for the quality control and the manufacturing of the enterprise. And um, then it was, you know, guys were, you know, Tim, like, honestly, it's a little much. Uh, everyone is kind of sick of the crickets in the, in the sales room and, you know, like, what do you think? And I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll build a reptile room over in the, in the extra area on the East wing of the building. And so, um, I guess actually the South wing of the building, but regardless. So I mean, whatever I look, I'm, I'm one to, uh, ask forgiveness before I'm going to ask permission. So I went and I built a reptile room number one over in the old facility and moved everything in over there and didn't didn't really like acquire more total animals but just changed optimized like we all do with our collections kind of optimize what what species i was working with but this was a point where i was like no 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 guys like i truly believe that this is actually more than just a reptile hobby um I'm, I'm convinced that we have a huge opportunity in this market space, given the technology and our capacity as a manufacturing company. And I just need a little bit of time. And it was at that time that I did explain to them that, look, there is a gap in the marketplace for a, an enclosure, for a reptile enclosure that, it, that delivers what the hobbyist expects, but is flat pack, easy to distribute, um, and uh, and provides adequate ventilation while still maintaining humidity and potentially is customizable so that if you need more ventilation, you can have it. And I had a lot of a lot of ideas. I mean, you know, none of which I was particularly happy with a lot of prototypes, um, but I didn't push any of it on my business partners until I was really proud of it. And it was about 2016, I want to say. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, to go to Madagascar with a bunch of oh, great nice. people, and um, and while I was on the trip to Madagascar, I don't know why, and it's it's odd that it happened at Madagascar, but it's just because all you're thinking about is reptiles. I mean, it's like how can you think about anything else? Right. You're thinking about the animals you see in the field. You're thinking about how you're keeping them at home. You know, that's all you're thinking about, and so one day it was just like, Oh my gosh, 
I know what it is that I need to do to make this enclosure um, what the mar what the market needs. And what that idea was was the concept of using corrugated plastic and uh, and bending it, and then combining that with custom aluminum extrusions and injection molded parts to create the first ever truly designed and built for the reptile space mass produced habitat mass produced mm -hmm. cage um because prior to that we're talking about glass aquariums that had a front door installed on them yeah. um and we're talking about fabrications from uh sheet stock um which is which is a really good improvement in in husbandry but you know, that it's hard to distribute that. It's hard to make those. You're not going to see a big box company stocking uh, PVC enclosures. Right. But this, this concept to me, to me, uh, seemed like something that we could go far with. And um, I went back to the machine. I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, I'm, a, I'm a machinist. And I went back to the machine shop and I made my first prototype with the, with the machining equipment I have at work. And then I would take it home and finish stuff at home. I have a machine shop in my basement and uh, I put it together. I made a proof of concept as we call them. And I picked it up and I threw it at my business partner and I said, catch. And he was like, holy shit. You know, <laughs> like it's, I can't believe it's as rigid as it is. And I was mm -hmm, like, yeah. yeah, like this, this actually works like it, it holds, you know, it, 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 it works. I was even amazed. I mean, I knew conceptually that it made sense, but when I put it together, I couldn't believe just how well it did what I, what I, what I thought it would do. And, um, and then it's been like three or four years of grinding and, uh, and just getting through the, there are so many nuances to, to a new to the world technology to get it to market that nobody, you know, realizes, and I'm not going to bore anyone with, but like every little thing yeah, has to be worked out. Just, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've heard product, the patent process that, is a nightmare. Well, honestly, that kind of stuff we're used to because with, with our yeah. enterprise, we have a bunch of patents. So we have a patent attorney, you know, I write the patent, the basic description and give them all the drawings and that's hours and hours of work, but like he does the rest. I'm talking the manufacturing. Yeah. I'm talking the quality control. And, you know, cause you're talking to the guy that at, at Ecotech, like that's what I'm responsible for is the engineering specs and the, or the manufacturing specs and the quality control parameters and how it comes in and what we check to make sure that it's the right product and that it gets put together right. I build all the assembly lines. And so, you know, being able to create this product myself within the, you know, as an entrepreneur within Ecotech, um, it, it, it just, it was, it was amazing. And, but it was painstaking. It, it took a lot of time and, and uh, didn't want to, I, I thought it was so good. I just didn't want to introduce it until it was ready, ready, ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been watching all the YouTube videos and stuff since y'all have been uploading that. And, uh, well, that's exciting you know, to, to do my homework and stuff before this. And I know, uh, I think Jack had mentioned that it's been like a five-year process. So it's not like you guys just made this you know a month ago and said cool and now we got new cages like mm -hmm. it's been a process and everyone should go check out those videos because the warehouse and just the building you guys have super me impressive. And we're talking about that before you guys came in it's unbelievable yeah so we moved into that about a year ago and um and you know that was like all hands on deck uh 
you know, moving from our old, our old building about 25,000 square feet to our new building, 65,000 square feet. And um, that's actually how Jack got involved in Leap because prior to that, he's just my buddy, you know, Mm -hmm. we'd, we'd hang out, talk cars, drink beers, whatever, but, um, excuse me, but, uh, but when, um, when it was time to start the move, uh, I was like, dude, can I pay you to just help me move? Like, can I get you on the payroll for the hours at your home to just help me move this, my responsibilities of the facility over? He's like, hell yeah. So, um, that was how Jack started. And, and, before I get to where we ended up with Jack, I, I want to back up a little too, because I want to introduce how Frank was involved in this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, definitely. Because, because Frank was there. So back up to, I bought my Parsons chameleon. Well, now I, then I told you a few months later, I had, you know, 50 animals. Well, a good percentage of those animals were because ever since a kid, I had been in love with carpet chameleons. And it didn't take long on Facebook to figure out that Kevin Stanford and Frank Payne were the carpet chameleon guys. And wouldn't you know, both of them were within an hour from me. So I reached out to Frank on, on uh, Facebook and um, in case you don't already know, Frank's a nice guy. So <laughs> it was, it was like, I mean, truly nice guy. And uh, I bought a few carpet chameleons. I mean, Frank, you you tell me at this point, what's your perspective of when we first met? Yeah, like it was about that time when, uh, like it has to be at least six years ago at this point when you were getting into chameleons. It was Carl that introduced us, I think, actually, in person anyway, because Carl knew you when you were a kid. Um, oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. So and so he introduced and like, yeah, interested in carpet chameleons. Here you go. Like he bought a handful off of me and then we just were talking carpet chameleons regularly because we were both really into it, bought a few more and then just like on and on. Next thing you know, like we're just friends. We're just friends yeah. that are, you know, that like talking about reptiles. Then we're occasionally hanging out, like going to birthday parties and stuff like that together and just, but pretty much every single day along with a couple other guys talking about reptiles. Yeah, you know, so I've just chameleons been, specifically. Yeah, exactly. Mostly chameleons, but it's just, and it, it just went from, oh, yeah, we like chameleons to it just kind of developed into a friendship. And then, you know, because of the fact that we're both so passionate and interested in reptiles and progressive reptile husbandry, it's just, you know, that's what kind of leads us into, into leap and everything that's going on there. Well, even, even back then, I mean, I, I definitely recall sharing the little, proof of concepts over yeah. time you know i mean i remember there was a version of a cage that i'd rendered at one point to show you guys um that was uh it had like an injection molded plastic yeah. bottom and then mm-hmm. vertical rails and then yep. you know plastic panes that would slide in and uh you know early early stuff and the mm-hmm. idea was it would flack pack and be more economical to manufacture but uh yeah, and I mean that stuff goes back easily four or five years. Uh, yeah. Those kinds of proof of concepts, and you know what better way to fit, you know, develop your entrepreneurial uh, uh, depth than with a group of like-minded people. And uh, the group that we would communicate with was all a bunch of PA guys: Kevin Stanford, Carl Katal, and um, really talented reptile and amphibian keepers. 
and long-term reptile amphibian keepers mm -hmm. and all, you know, we get together every now and then, but just on uh, Facebook messenger, you know, chatting it up all day long for five years. <laughs> yeah. When I initially saw that Frank would, you know, posted some sort of, you know, some little like teasers before, you know, sort of the, the word got out and stuff is like, what a, what a perfect guy for that product in particular because of what he works with and what, you know, the stuff that he's got dialed in, you know, like the Dracos and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a perfect it, fit. It, it just, it, it worked out. It seems like it worked out so perfectly for everyone involved, you know, just because it started with the friendship and mutual trust and mutual interest. And then it's just like, yeah, you want to build this perfect reptile enclosure. And then like, okay, I, I obsessed with that. You know, I, I, that's all I think about all day is how to better keep, these animals you know and so it's like remember you know every once in a while i get a phone call from tim well what do you think about this idea you know and, and just bouncing stuff back and forth and giving him my perspective you know because i what i am not is an engineer yeah <laughs> because he could talk about engineering and i would just go yep but you want to talk about animal husbandry you want to talk about animal behavior and you know that's all i think about and that's all i'm passionate about so it just it fit so perfectly together and the fact that we are both in Pennsylvania within an hour and a half drive of each other and that we have, you know, a lot of the same interests. It, it just, man, it just, it just worked out. It just, it, it didn't like, there wasn't like a, a thing. It just, it just happened. It just kind of naturally mm -hmm. happened. I mean, for three years, I can remember telling you that I think I'll have the prototypes this summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, how many years did that go on? No, no, no. I'm pretty sure I'll have them this summer. And there's a lot of reason behind all the missed summers where Frank didn't get prototypes to try out. Yeah, keep waiting. But I, I have you them know. now, though. That you can see them in the background. I finally have yeah. them. I finally have my nice. prototypes for like six months or so now. But imagine <laughs> imagine the value to, to a guy like me. To Yeah, I have my own reptile room, right? But Frank has a lot more experience with a lot more animals than I do. You know, I'm I, – I, I'm – I really just work with a couple of species that I'm super passionate about. I'm super passionate about the industry. I'm super passionate about the technology, but I don't pretend to be one of these guys that just knows everything about every animal, but Frank's breadth of knowledge is just enormous. And, you know, imagine how lucky it is for me to have a friend in Frank that I can, you know, be like, well, how how would this work? And, you know, finally, after all these years, um, you know, eight months ago or whatever, however long ago it was, six months ago, you know, Frank finally got his hands and was able to plant his first leap terrarium. And uh, for me to get the nod and the thumbs up mm -hmm. from Frank, and I mean, even better, I remember the text where Frank said, hey, Tim, Elise likes them even better, too. And <laughs> my, uh, is my... My wife is basically so like with with the business as big as it's gone as as living art has gone. I'm st I'm teaching full time. I could not take care of all these animals by myself, right? My wife Elise stays home. Her job is the animals. She does a lot of the day to day care. And like you know, Tim says with 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 his person uh, Kelsey, who takes care of his animals, Elise is is basically the zookeeper, and I am the supervisor. Right? I do all the breeding of the animals. Right. I do all the pairing. I do all like the, the egg, you know, egg incubation, all that stuff. I do everything breeding related. Um, but when it comes to feeding and cleaning, she does all that. 
so so anyway we're completely unsolicited i was like yeah no these are the best enclosures that we have and i have a good number like and she's like these are by far the easiest to work with and so and that is the best nod that's better than my nod because of my level of experience i can work around i mean i can keep a reptile in a cardboard box if i have to right you know and it'll it'll be fine but to have somebody that with fairly limited experience um to be like okay this is what's easy this is what's enjoyable for me to actually work with the animals the most and i i, I texted tim immediately like, you got the nod man it's all good <laughs> yeah it's a big pe- moment the pepsi challenge yeah. of cages you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> right that's great well one of the things i like about them the most is the fact that you guys worked it out to where they they fit on a baker's rack evenly mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Me and me and Jake, we call it. We, yes. You know, we've used Baker's racks for all kinds of stuff. We call it the poor man's rack because we didn't want to, you know, bother with a bunch of PVC. We just lay like an ultra therm pad on the back and keep our stuff on that, and that worked great. But when I had dart frogs, it was a constant game of Tetris of like, okay, I can get this like yes. twenty four by twenty four, you know, by eighteen or whatever, and then one of these twelve by twelve by eighteens. But then there's like eight inches that I just can't use. That's and right. So, and then they're so heavy. You know, I don't like moving them around because I'm afraid the bottom's going to fall out. And so it was just yep. when I saw that you guys were focused on on making sure, you know, they they worked yeah. with Baker's racks and stuff. I was like, that's that's well, as, that, that as was... small reptile and, and frog people like you, that is exactly it. That right. We've there. all yeah. we've all dealt with it for so long. And that was definitely one of the aspects that I was most passionate about is like everything i'm like you know one of my pieces of advice like everything you need to make needs to fit on these baker's racks everything because so a it's perfect for the keeper because there's no wasted space and it looks good you know like tim said a lot of the glass terrariums their glass their their fish tanks with you know front doors on them and they don't fit something that you can buy so if you want something that's nice and that actually fits them just like you're just describing like otherwise it never matches it doesn't fit quite right like we all use the baker's racks. It's what everybody has available. And so this is that is the way in which you can get someone to to have one or two of these and have it look perfect and fit perfect, but then expand in the future mm-hmm. and have it do so very easily, you know, that anyone can do. And there's not, well, how am I going to, where am I going to put this? You know, am I going to have to build something or am I going to have to get something that, j- that doesn't actually work right? You know, it, that's, that's one of the things that seems small, maybe from an outside observer, but like, as you pointed out, Justin, from somebody that's in, that's been in the hobby for industry for so long, like that's a, actually a very important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it, I mean, we have so, these racks and there's just, like I said, there's always so much dead space that if you combined all those gaps and stuff, you could almost have an entire extra shelf. And so it was always so frustrating because it was like, I don't have a big room. And so I'm yep. constantly shifting things and trying to get as, you know, what I can to fit along the walls and Same as high there. as I can go. And so like, so that, one thing we wanted to take that up uh, a notch too, and not just horizontal space, obviously depth, you know, maximize, but we wanted horizontal space and that's where you get the nesting of the different enclosure sizes within a baker's rack. And don't forget, we're going to come out with a double door version. So with the double door versions, you'll be able to fit, one 30 inch model and one 15 inch model on every baker's rack or one 42 inch model which is uh or 44 actually which is the whole width but in addition the lighting and the accessories we wanted to be all friendly for the baker's rack and beyond just the you know there's just too many 
it's too common uh, currently to see a product that was adapted from a different industry and just given to uh-huh. us. And yeah. so, you know, being, being a manufacturer, being a mechanical engineer, being a product development guy, uh, we don't buy things and just put our logo on them and sell right. them. We make everything from scratch, all the molds, it's all our parts. We put the, you know, we've got, I mean, there's, there's a lot of zeros behind the investment behind all of this. And, um, and, you know, so the lighting, right. We have these clips that easily mount into the baker's rack. And then once you put the two clips in, you take the light and you just, I'm trying to figure out where my camera is and you just pop it up and then it's held in place. And we've done all the math to make sure that you can maximize the, the, you know, the number of racks per baker's baker's rack. And so for example, for the smallest uh, habitat that we're offering, it's 15 inches wide by 18 inches tall by 17 inches deep, which is a pretty decent size enclosure for frogs, for example. Mm -hmm. And on a baker's rack, you can fit 12 of those. Wow. And, and with 12 of those on a baker's rack, you can leave the casters on the rack because you're not going to break them due to the weight. And you can easily take that baker's rack and roll it outside the room with all the lighting all the cages, all, you know, all the terrariums, all the, the plants and substrate and everything in it. Um, one of these days we'll get a weight just to, to be able to show you, like, here's the physical difference in yeah. weight. But I mean, it, it works. And we, we're realizing things that we never realized, which is that we can just tilt a, a baker's rack 90 degrees and actually clean the spiders out from behind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And now our, and now our reptile room looks beautiful all the time. Um, we're yeah, also going to be introducing a, a fogging manifold, which is something I'm really looking forward to that uh, will also clip into the baker's rack and let you adjust the amount of fog that you're distributing to all your uh, habitats. That's very impressive. So that's that, that people are going to like that one, I think. Well, it's funny that something as simple as a clip that goes to the bottom of a shelf on a baker's rack. It's like, yeah, I've been zip tying stuff to the bottom of these racks forever. And now anytime I got to move things, I got to cut them and put on new ones. So it's like, how come we have this before? It's well, a simple thing, but it's because yeah. like Tim said, people aren't these, a lot of the supplies and the materials aren't made for the reptile industry you know right you know it's all modification from stuff that exists before or it's just like not thinking about those things you know from a reptile keeper's perspective yeah i just just like how it's it's uniform to a degree that's like how do i phrase this okay so using baker's racks my entire herpeticultural career it's never exactly uniform so if yeah. I'm using exoterras or I'm using vision cages or I'm using you yeah. know zillas, whatever, one's here, then the next one's here, then another yeah. one's here. And then I'm like, well, how high do I make the shelf? Do I go do I go to 18 inches? Well, no, I can't do 18 inches because then I have no space for lights. Yep. Now you guys have pun intended done the math and mm-hmm. it's just easy. It's plug and play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. And- yep. A big, a big goal too between now and launch, and one of the reasons why we're happy with the March launch is we're going to be pumping out videos. So, you know, a baker's rack will show you 
how to, you know, where to measure out the, the positions of the baker's racks. How many, how many baker's racks did it take us all to build before we finally figured out the logical way to actually put a baker's rack together? Wait, there's a logical way? There's a couple, <laughs> okay, wait, but there's, yeah, there's some better is there, ways. Is there one? You yeah, mean having there, like the, the two lower lower clips than the other two, and so then you're you're not even, and then you have to take them all off and adjust it, and then you still didn't do it right? Is that... So without getting into the weeds, the ideal way in my experience is you put all the shelves on the ground, you build the posts, you put them in through the corner holes so that now you've got all four posts standing. And then you take one shelf, slide it up, okay? Have a buddy hold it there and then put the four corners on, slide it down, boom, on. Then you do That's each the shelf from the bottom up. The engineer in you coming out. <laughs> Us comments, That's what I do. We don't, we don't think that hard about it. I make, know, a, I make you know assembly how many, lines for a living. I was going to say, do you know how many metal racks or metal shelving I've dented and dinged from smacking it with a ball peen hammer because I can never <laughs> yeah. get it just right? I'm, gonna I, I could po I'm pointing at one right now that has a bent shelf that I hit yeah. with a hammer because I yep. got angry with it and I bent the bar. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> well, we're, we're here to help with that, right? So right. that's what it all is. The video on how to assemble a leap enclosure is going to painstakingly go through you know, you could wing it, right? But if you watch this video and, and observe the tools I'm using and look at the way I'm doing it, it'll be very straightforward. Um, I can put together a leap habitat in 10 minutes. I can put together the habitat itself in five minutes. It just takes another five minutes to install the liner, which mm -hmm. is a bit more of a delicate process. It's not delicate. It's just there's a, a couple of different steps. Um, but uh, That but, liner you know, is I, awesome, by the way. It's how the whole thing works, you know. Yeah. It, that's yeah, what that was, makes. That was the first thing when I saw him. I was like, I wonder how are like how are those watertight? Like if I'm keeping frogs and stuff, like they're they're. Well, like, I saw it. So, wet. And then I, I saw like, it on the website video, and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. Well, you guys had the liner listed separate on the website and like the online store, and I was like, what the hell is that? And I'm looking at it, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I know where that goes. I know exactly where that goes. That's awesome. It's included it. in the box. It's just an extra if you want it. But I gotta yeah, throw I gotta throw a nod to my mechanical engineer Harry because well Harry and Justin Lawyer my business partner. But uh, Justin had always said, "What about an origami pan for the inside? That way it holds water." So that's like the boom idea right there. And Justin is great at that stuff. But Harry was the one that that figured out that we could uh, that we could get it to fold easier if we crease the eddy. The, the the ideas like come to the shop one day it, Frank's been there like you know you know yeah, when amazing. we're in the shop and we're brainstorming like we're just okay let's go make this we go run over to the milling machine we make it we go to the laser we make it we whatever it is we have to do boom it's made and uh and we we put it together but the the liner was a big one yeah I, I just remember talking with Tim the one time about it. I was saying like, all right, so he had the, like the, the proof of concept of the enclosure as we see it now, but it was basically like, like a bare bottom, you know, like a, and, but I remember the, like, yes. I don't keep my animals that way anymore. I was like, so, so here's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't keep anything bare bottom anymore. Everything is planted is naturalistic is bioactive. And like, again, not a, not an engineer animal guy. I'm like, how are you like, we need to, you need to figure out, not me. I don't know how. You need to figure out a way to get me to be able to plant this enclosure without it draining. I'm like, I have no idea how I go, but that's what you need to do 
to, to make this work even better. And like, it was like a week later he came back like, yeah, we have this amazing origami idea that I would have never thought of. Like, and then remember when we added the foam, you were yeah, like, but at first, Tim, but Tim, it, it leaks around. And I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, give me, he, give me a couple me the, days. He, he hands me the line. He's like, oh, it's great. And like, here, show me. Like, it fits the soil. Water doesn't leak. I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. Here's little clips that hold it in place. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's really cool. But again, Animal Keeper, like crickets are going to get back here. I have animal automatic missing. Back there. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. Geckos, yes, my geckos are going to get back there. Exactly. Misting is going to get back there and drip down. I'm like, I go, this is cool, but like, it doesn't fix these problems. Yeah. Okay. Give me, give me, give me a couple of days. A couple of days later, it comes back and it's fixed. Yep. I, it, it's been fun having, having a guy like Frank to give, you know, cause I, I will recognize when a situation's not ideal, but I don't necessarily know at what point it's lack of idealness is a game is like a, a like a deal breaker, mm-hmm. but having a guy like Frank that I can be like good enough and he, and, and give me, and he can just shoot it back. Like, no, you know, you got to You got to figure this out. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, and I trust Frank. And so again, go back to the drawing board and I've got a phenomenal team of brilliant people and, you know, and they trust me that, look, if we put the time into this, it's, it's going to be worth it. And, and now we're sitting here and we're, you know, we're waiting till March. Well, I, I think it's funny that I, I hadn't heard a leap for I hadn't heard a leap until probably maybe almost two months ago. Maybe whenever you guys started your your actual Instagram ad like ad campaign, yes, two months all, ago. Okay, so right around two months ago, and all of a sudden I started seeing this Felsuma, this cartoon Felsuma, and I'm like, "What is this leap?" And like There's I started a lot of mystery in. behind it all. Yeah, it was very much a, a lore, and then that's when I stumbled across the actual Instagram page, and I was like, "This is the teaser from hell. This is amazing." <laughs> yeah, we, we, I think we, we kind of tried to do that on purpose a little bit. Yeah, like yeah. I, did, I did a, you know, because I, I was always asking Tim because you know, it's been going on for a while. I'm like, "What? What can I? What can I post right now? What am I allowed to post?" And then like I'm just like one little thing, like me holding. Uh, yeah. an enclosure you know like closures stacked on each other or like J- jack interviewing me in their amazing studio and just like posting like a thing like just showing like this amazing looking studio and having to like what, what the hell is this you know so it was, yeah 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 that's pretty fun <laughs> i was i was when i was watching the videos too and you guys did the walk through the studio so i was like looking at all the gear like what are they using what do they got hooked up? <laughs> well, so if the, any questions about that, so that's a great segue because I want to take a minute to talk about Jack. So I'm I'm like the founder of Leap. I'm the you know the the reptile passionate person behind the brand. Uh, Jack is the, more or less the brand manager. Um, we never know what titles at, at our company. You know, ne- next week I I might be someone different or might have to be someone different. Who knows? But whatever, it's all good. And, um, so as a brand manager, uh, so Jack started helping out just to help me move, you know, like drink beers, go to lunch, move boxes, whatever. And, um, at, at one point in early summer, late spring, probably late spring, it was still a little chilly. We were getting ready to go down to visit Frank and go to that fish place. Um, and, uh, and so I, I took an enclosure because I had some prototypes mm-hmm. and it was time to show a, a store, you know, to go to Frank's. I think I might've dropped a couple of enclosures off with Frank 
And then we're it was the first go to time the I got one to keep. Yeah. With the foam in it, I think, or would maybe mm-hmm. that was without the foam in it. And that's when you gave the, anyway. Correct. All right. Correct, so yeah. we, we go down to that fish place and, uh, and Jack's just with me to be like, Hey, I want to support my buddy. And I want to see what this thing that Tim's been working on is all about. And when we showed the, the staff at that fish place, and then we talked to them about Baker's rack and flat pack and, you know, toss the terrarium back and forth. They, they were in love. Um, you know, they were like, this is so much better. Look how much more room we're going to get out of our reptile room now. Having everything modular and nested. So and much room for Working activities. with each other. Yes. <laughs> Favorite movie of all time. My um, wife and I say that in our reptile room a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and Jack that'll be, the, saw, that'll be the leap slogan. I'll just have the little, the little Felsuma cartoon. And it just says, so much room for activities. Dot, dot, dot. Do you like guacamole? Do you like best we want to do karate in the garage? <laughs> yep. Uh, so, you know, Jack saw what these, what, what the response was and uh, it really lit a fire in him. And um, I've been around a lot of passionate people, but uh, the, the fire that started burning in him was incredible. And very quickly, it was obvious that not only was Jack a friend, but he was a real asset to the team and was going way deeper into the uh, into the scientific aspects of marketing and branding and um, uh, and the technology behind filming and YouTube and then then I would ever go. I mean, I'm a t- I like playing with tools. You know, if 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 I get distracted and you know I'm either going to be up in the reptile room just tweaking things and and installing new misting fittings. Or I'm going to be down in the machine shop machining something. I mean, that's just what I like to do. And, uh, and Jack has been able to keep it like in a direction and at a pace that has just been beyond any vision. So when you talk about when you started to see Leap two months ago, you know, that was because of a engineered and organized uh, marketing blitz that Jack's been responsible for with all hands on deck. So myself, the reptile husbandry specialist, Kelsey, who takes phenomenal photos, as well as our cameraman, David, that is just, I mean, David, I hired David as an intern last summer for the machine shop because uh, I'm very good friends with his father and his father is a machinist. And David, we realized within two months, David's future was behind a camera, not even, you know, had nothing to do with machining, which is what he thought he was interested in. And like, this is all, all these things have come together in the last like eight months or so, even though the project's been going on for five years. So it's, it's, there is so much excitement is all I can say. Just like so much excitement between myself, Frank, Jack, David, Kelsey, and like we're finding other people that are passionate about it now too. And I just can't wait till you guys get one or see one or, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, I just remember that we have a like a group chat with a bunch of our friends in it. And I remember we we found the Instagram and everyone was like, "Anybody know what the hell this is or like what it's about?" And then as the pictures started coming in and the videos and stuff, we're like, "Okay," but it was initially mm-hmm. like, "What is it? You yeah. know, what are, what are they doing?" Well, I got questions for you guys. What should we be doing? Uh, I think you're you're doing a bang up job. Um, modularity is always awesome because. I find that with our circle of friends and then some other people that are 
reptile enthusiasts, but not necessarily like part of the bona fide community. You know what I mean? Um, they get into something and they're like, you know what? I've had it for two years. Uh, it's kind of not for me. You know, maybe they do some horse trading and it's like, well, now I have this beautiful, you know, set up vivarium. Can I convert it to something else? Is the modularity there? You know what I mean? Yeah. And versatility like, I, is a big versatility, thing yeah. for me. You know, mm -hmm. can I, you know, I was actually, I was talking to somebody about this today. It was like, you know, when I'm looking at a tub for chondros or I'm looking at a rack or something, you know, I want to be able to, I don't want it to be made specifically for that species. Like I want to be able to, if I end up bumping up a chondro to a bigger tub, now I have an empty tub. I want it to work for, you know, a rhino rat snake, any of the, the boiga that I have, um, you know, tree boas, really anything that, that uses vertical space, especially in, you know, like an arboreal tub or, or setup. Um, and so that ability to where it is versatile enough to be used across sort of a spectrum, it doesn't have to be a big spectrum, but it, at least it has uses with other species outside of just that one. Sure. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so that kind of thing helps. And I mean, me and Jake were actually on the website the other day when I was at work uh, and we were looking at them and me and him were debating whether or not the, I think the tallest model, the 36 would work for an adult rhino rat. And I, he, for some reason in his crazy brain he thought that rhino rats got like five feet and i'm like dude you're out of your mind they don't get that big <laughs> like this would work yeah. perfectly for an adult yeah they're pretty moderate yeah and so i was like you know not having to really offer them heat you have plenty of the the height that they'll use it's you know it's wide enough it's deep enough um but i could also use it for stuff like boiga you know it's not just specific to something i would use with rhino rats you know there's there's a ton of applications and stuff and so for me that's kind of the biggest thing is like can I get the most out of it over an extended period of time? Right. Board with whatever I'm keeping in particular. And, and, uh, you know, so that's, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm happy, uh, that, uh, that I got invited tonight because I'll be the first to tell you when it comes to snakes, I, I couldn't, if someone asked me, Hey, what's a good snake I could keep in one of your, uh, leap enclosures, I would say, I'm going to have to defer to an expert on that one. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to interacting with you guys more and just explaining to you the different heights, the different widths. And then also the, you know, we don't have to stick to 17 inches front to back. Mm -hmm. we, we did that for launch because of Baker's rack nesting, right. but we can offer a line that's 24 inches deep. You know, mm -hmm. we, we recognize that it's a pretty significant increase in depth that adds a lot of square footage. Sure. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just eager to talk to you guys, to talk to other people, to get information thrown at me about what size enclosures, because the real beauty of the, of the patent and the technology behind the, the uh, habitat design is that the larger you go, the better the economies are compared to competitive uh, enclosure technologies. Right. Yeah. The smaller you go, think about it. A, 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 a leap habitat this big still has all the same number of plastic injection molded joints all mm -hmm. over it. Same number of extrusions are just not as long. But when I go this big, the the plastic joints again, same number of joints, just the extrusions are longer. The plastic is you know the the corrugated material is bigger. That's not, that's not where the bill of material is. So our, our planned largest enclosure for, uh, for 2022 of 44 by 17 by 42, 
I don't want to name a price, but I think you're going to be impressed at where it comes out and the fact that it's mail orderable. So yeah, like if awesome. there are sizes that we're just ignoring because people assume they're too big, it, now is the time to figure it out so yeah. that I can spend some of my engineering time sure. developing it. That was actually something else that Jacob was talking about when he was with me the other day. Is he just got some cave geckos, and I mean, they're still small, but he's like, you know, at some point I want to find him something that, that works for, you know, an adult or a pair. And I was trying to think off the top of my head, there's really nothing that's like that size, except for like maybe the nano exos. But even then, I feel like you still want something that's a little wider than you do. Yeah. Cube. Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah. We, were, we were milling over options and I really couldn't think of, of one that worked aside from maybe some that are made more for uh, like tarantulas or something that you would flip on its back and then it would open up from the top like a like a chest, which wouldn't really be ideal. But um, so I don't know. I think there's something there. Because, you know, coleonics, cave geckos, that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like you either have something that's too small or you have something that's too big. It doesn't seem like there's really anything in the middle that, that works for them. At least to my knowledge, I could be completely yeah, wrong. Yeah, that, 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 that was one of my next questions was, are you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, you guys have all these beautiful jungle arboreal stuff. Is there anything in the works for arid stuff and then basically terrestrial stuff where you have the same surface area as your the ones that you show on the baker's rack, but they're half the height because if I'm doing, you know, knobtails or chondrodactylus mm -hmm. or whatever, they're not going to climb up there. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. now I can have even more shelves. And then if you are selling the baker's racks, are you going to sell individual shelves? Like add more? Uh, yep. So, okay. Yes. Uh, okay. So let's think about it, right? Terrestrial setup. Um, you know, the, the depth of the front door, do we need it to be four inches? Probably not. You know, if we're going to put a, a sand layer or something in the bottom for a coleonics gecko, um, and this is, again, subject to discussion, subject to debate, mm -hmm. but it's easy sure. for me to do now. And, and we know we want to launch our terrestrial line in the second half of 2022. So, yes, there would be a more arid backdrop for it. And uh, the liner would most likely not feature, uh, not necessarily feature, uh, as tall of a uh, of a depth because i think we could shrink it down by shrinking it down that allows the front screen door to be smaller and then that gives more viewing area even if the whole enclosure is only 12 inches tall um, and see that's that's great but i would even just me thinking like the geckos i keep i want as oftentimes as deep a substrate dam as i can get because i'm going to okay. pack in pounds of sand because they're going to dig you know four, three four mm -hmm. inches down to do whatever tunneling they're going to do or egg laying or what have you so like for yeah. me i mean obviously we want it to be aesthetically pleasing we want to see the animal it's also going to be pretty for the people that don't have you know 50 of them um having a bigger viewing area is key but if you did something that was like one third substrate dam two thirds door and it's still only you know 12 or 15 inches tall i think that's awesome well, this is where I defer to you, subject matter experts, right? So, you know, Frank yeah. is is the current is the current screen door sufficient height for a desert terrarium? It is. I wouldn't go shorter. So that's the thing. Okay. Is, is you know because like Phil was saying, so many terrestrial species are fossorial to some degree or another. You know, like I mean, even like blue tongue skinks, even, like all sorts of geckos, like most of them will dig if given the opportunity. It's a natural behavior for them. 
So no, you don't need that substrate necessarily for planting like we do in our tropical setups, but the animals are going to utilize it. So yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think you need to make it deeper than what we currently have. Cause it is like four inches now. Yeah. It looks great. Um, yeah. it is now. It's but four inches. I, I don't, I mean, I think you, we could look at a, a shorter version, but yeah, like Phil said that depth actually, I think would be beneficial uh, to a lot of terrestrial species. And I love and then, the, the screen in the front with the holes in yeah. the origami, that cross ventilation, you know, uh, so there's a, a famous uh, herpetologist, um, uh, Vogel, who is leading venomous, one of the leading venomous guys in the world. He wrote the pit viper, arboreal pit viper book. And it's a textbook. It's like that thick. It's the Holy Bible cool. on Asian pit vipers. And he shows these chimera. That white it's, yeah, it's, it, no, it's a it's a black cover, but yeah, it's, oh, okay. it's edition Chimera and yeah. uh, awesome book. And you could tell it took him 30, 40 years to write that book because the drawings of the habitats and the ske cartoon sketches that he did, it's all drilled together plywood. And he shows mm -hmm. how to do screen in the front and screen at the top so that the cross ventilation comes through. And like I'm looking at your the origami thing with the holes and I'm like, this is brilliant because I can pack in a bunch of dirt and it's still going to have a, a quote-unquote cross breeze yeah the ones behind me here phil like i have um jackson's chameleons i have the blue beauty and knolls i have europlatus and nice. i pa packed full of dirt live plants in it but those holes that tim engineered in it to allow that uh yeah. that good air exchange so it's keeping the good humidity that the animals need but also that they one of the most overlooked aspects of yeah, it's it's by, by far one of the most overlooked aspects of reptile husbandry is air circulation. Sure. Um, like I majorly changed how I keep my blue tongue skinks because I was keeping them in stacked PVC enclosures, and the stagnation of the air and the and the the lack of a thermal gradient um, in the air because of that it was all uniform, right? Because even with some ventilation, it wasn't heat could not truly escape from the top. Right. So that's one of the things I've changed for some of my terrestrial stuff. You know, that's like one of the best things that, that racks do, you know, that, that, you know, like an ARS or something does because there is ventilation in the top. So, yeah, you heat the animal from underneath and the air actually can escape. And, you yeah. know, the leaf ones do that. Mm -hmm. Well, so then maybe, maybe getting back to the, the optimal terrestrial, right? So I know if we went down to 12 inches tall that we could fit a whole nother rack, right? We could fit at least mm -hmm. five, five shelv shelves. But yep. then the question would be, how low do I need to go to get six? And then, the, and then the next question is, is that height too low? So right. that would be that would be my question. That would be the kind of thing I come back once I've done the models and figure, you know, maybe create a render, and I come back to you guys and I say, what do you think? Yeah, off, yeah, off the top of my head, I don't think you want to go less than twelve inches. Yeah. I agree because we're talking four and eight, right? Four below. Correct. And Correct. eight above. There's your one third, two third, like you were saying, Phil. Yeah, uh, and I think too. So it's, that it's seems... also it's it's easier to uh, how do I phrase this? So if I have a planted vivarium with you know Europlatus in it, right, whatever, or dart frogs, things are growing. You know, bioactivity is doing its thing. It's working. It's a cycle. I'm not in there rummaging around. While as my arid desert geckos that are just pooping and there's no living creatures in there to eat it or yes. use it. I'm yes. gutting that cage more frequently. I'm sand sifting. And like when it's smaller than an eight inch hole and I got my, my sausage fingers with a scraper going in there, it <laughs> yep. still has to be, it still has yeah, to be yeah. serviceable. Right, right, right.
So, yep. Yeah, so 12 inches is the bitter minimum. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And then just to coincide with all this arid terrestrial stuff is weight. So, you know, we look at the leap habitat as being this lightweight, airy, potable, throw it to your friend, sci-fi awesomeness. But what happens when I put 10 pounds ten, of sand? I was literally going to say 10 pounds of sand plus another 10 pounds of actual rock. Like, obviously, it's on the baker's rack, so it's not that big a deal. But is there a gap underneath like an exoterra? And is that bottom going to bow? Is that bottom going to crack out? If I go to pick it up, is the whole thing like Justin said going to just fall on Dude, the floor? Dude, there's so many times where I picked up exos that were filled with dark yeah. frogs. Oh. I'm like, this yeah. thing is going to just, I'm going to pick this up and it's just going to, everything's going to fall out of the bottom. Yeah. It was oh. amazing that it didn't. So it does sit on the bottom, flush on the bottom. That's so awesome. you don't have to worry about like when it's on the shelf. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it like falling out. Brilliant, um, brilliant. As far as the amount of weight that it can handle uh, in its, you know, with the with the plastic rivets that hold the bottom together, um, that's something that I uh, now that we're talking terrestrial and we're talking sand, uh, I'm going to quantify um, to make sure because yeah. people uh, that will want to becomes important. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and like Phil said, it's not it's not just the sand, the substrate, but people are going to want to put uh, rocks, rocks sometimes, but definitely cork and definitely like logs and stuff like that. So like sure. the, the weight will, you know, cork's not too yeah, heavy, and, but if and, and don't get me the wrong, logs, cork, dirt, up. that's all tropical type weight that we know is good, but man, yeah. sand, rocks, oof, yeah. yeah. And then, I got I have to actually quantify the strength. Sure. And maybe maybe that you know. We either spec it no more than this weight, or I, I de- deliver a solution that can handle the added. Yeah, weight. And I think people would be totally cool if you said, "Hey, look, it can handle ten pounds of dry weight," you know. So and make sure you specify because wet is always heavier than dry, you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if, if you know if it's ten pounds of dry weight and I add in another five pounds of rock, well, I'm going to have a problem, and that's going to come down to like warranty stuff and like, well, you're an idiot you put 10 pounds of rock on top of it and then you picked it up. So like if I'm, if I'm gutting a cage, like my girdle tail enclosures, each one's got to have at least 10 pounds of flat stone, like, like no foam, real stone just for, that's what they live in. So I'll take all the rocks out first and then I'll pick it up. So there's only probably say a a 10 pound bag of calcium sand in there with some soil mixed in, but I'm not going to pick it up with all the rocks because I'm not an idiot. But people might do that and then be well, upset. Well, with the so. leaf enclosures, you can. You know, I mean, yeah. that's something we're marketing. So, yeah. you know, I don't want that feature to go away sure. with terrestrial habitat. So, you know, my goal, just from a branding and from an engineering perspective, would be to deliver a cage that can handle that. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, that will... That is a, I'm really glad you brought that up because that is something to think about. It is a different, that is a lot denser of a substrate than, than soil. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now being corrugated, I'd imagine they hold heat really well. Yeah. They're very good at holding yeah. heat. Absolutely. Is there a, is there it's like very a well max, insulated. Is there like a max temp though that you'd recommend? Like if I was going to, I have Ackies. Mm. So if I, if you did a size where I was like, this is perfect for a pair of Ackies and I was just blasting it with heat. I mean, we're, I think my cage right now is the hot spot. Is it like 180 something? Like I've never kept anything so, that hot. It's like keeping them in an oven. It's, it's so, so the material, for me. the material prop polypropylene that it's made from, um, has a lower melting temperature than, than other materials that were, you know, used to like PVC and whatever else. 
the the grade of polypro that we're using is a v0 rated grade which means it's uh, self-extinguishing um it's not uh it, it's not if it burns it doesn't continue to ignite it put it goes out yeah, it'll um, melt but it won't catch on fire and burn the whole house down correct but yeah. but with respect to that so the melting temperature is is way higher than what an organism could survive at so you can use you know we have a metal aluminum screen on top you can use whatever heat you you need right um sure. if you know we're talking in the in the mid 200s and above at which point the material itself will have an issue um which is easily, you know, uh, a, a 2x factor of safety over what, you know, 100. I mean, I can't imagine the hottest reptile would ever bask above 100 or 110. Yeah. Well, uh, so Justin, Justin was just saying that the <clears throat> Ackies, they, we, they, monitor keepers do give Ackies and other desert monitors like 150 and above. And yeah, you're a master. 150. Like that, they're getting. In, they're a, getting in above. In above. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, you're not, you're not putting that in a, a 18 by 12 by 17 enclosure because yeah, exactly. it's too it's too that'll that'll bring it to well in excess of ambient temperature yeah so the critical larger... thing <clears throat> yeah. exactly so the it, it is a, a reasonably good insulator right so you're gonna like any reptile keeper you're gonna have to balance your basking temps versus sure. your ambient temps and you have a new material here that's going to insulate differently than a glass or a, a plywood or whatever. And you're gonna have to work that out. But as far as the actual like um, uh, robustness of the material, like anything, you're not gonna wanna put that basking light two inches away from the right. edge of the terrarium. You're gonna wanna center it, you know, offset it on mm -hmm. one corner to be over a, a basking, a suitable basking area. Sure. Um, the the higher you know 150 is impressive uh frank that that's impressive it's temperature <laughs> well, and is that insane. all day long or is that just for an hour or two I, some all day some, some people do so there's a a style of keeping and with monitors is 24 7 light and heat and then providing the animals with uh you know refuges that they can go to to get away from the light but still have access to the heat so we're you know it's it's no joke to say like people in in the animals are thriving and in, in breeding better apparently in, in these conditions where where they literally have access to light and heat in excess of 150 degrees for 24 hours a day incredible. every day incredible yeah. i have that's a, one of the uh, things that's so cool about this hobby is this kind of information the diversity yeah. of, of everything and the fact that you guys are going to put it out is awesome i have a, a cambro rack that's pvc with uh sand vipers from the sahara so Despite the lights being on a, an eight-hour cycle, the temperature doesn't start to go. Like the heating element doesn't start to go for about an hour before after the lights come on to kind of simulate the sun coming up and warming everything. But the heat stays at, at, at oh, least a cool. hundred degrees until like midnight, and lights are out at eight o'clock. Mm. So like even the darkness, they're still at a hundred degrees, and it's just cooking. You know, the Cambro tubs I don't worry about because they're thick as hell. But yeah, yeah. I, if I was going to do babies in, you know, leap enclosures or something, I would definitely get like a microhalogen where it's going to put, you know, the screen and the surrounding plastics going to easily be 100 degrees for 13, 14 hours a day, you know? Yeah, the 100 degree temperature doesn't bother me. It's okay. the 150 degrees that, uh, you, you would need to ensure that you have a sufficiently large enclosure to get that yeah. heat source away from the walls. 
um uh you know that's uh but but long we're not offering a line that's suitable for you know these big big monitors or you said did you guys reference ackies as being a species that benefits yeah, from that kind of temperature yeah yeah yes because that's a species i've identified as something i want to start to research more of um i really like them and awesome. uh, i think it yeah frank had them before and showed me do you still have them now no, I don't have Ackies. The I had I've had Ackies before. The species that I bred for a while were the Kingorum, the oh, much nice. smaller. Yeah, but that was that was the monitor that I that I bred that you probably saw. Okay, um, but yeah. I've, I've worked with a lot of monitor species, but the Kingorum were the ones that I that I produced. Yeah, super cool. So so as as we gain experience with those animals, I think we can deliver products that uh, that are most cut out to that. I mean, you know, again, it's like we are, we're, you know, we're hobbyists ourselves, like, right? Like that's what this is. We're hobbyists and engineers with the, the good fortune of having an entire manufacturing powerhouse behind us. So like, let's use this to our advantage as, as a group of uh, people in, you know, in the industry and let's make some cool products that we all know that we want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. One of the things I'm looking forward to is is testing the enclosures with different species because you know yes. a that just means I get to keep more more reptiles you know but that, that means I get to get an Aki to do like real work on you know what I mean or <laughs> whatever or anything anything yeah. at all just to be like okay what's the best way to keep it in this enclosure you know what are some things we need to look out for like that's that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, and we need to be able to provide recommendations of how to best mm-hmm. provide the husbandry that mm-hmm. species requires within the new, um, you know, the new technology of the leaf habitat. So let me ask some personal agenda questions, if I may. Uh, is the cage lockable? And how is the screen on the front and the top attached? Sure. So the, the cage doesn't have a formal locking mechanism. It uses latches. Okay. Right? But it is aluminum. So if one wanted to rivet a, a, you know, a system or screw a system for locking into it, it's easily modifiable. In fact, we, we really look at the enclosure in general as being something that people may really just look at as a starting point and sure. modify themselves. A good example of that to get back to like real quick to get back to the area that, you know, you know, I'm most comfortable in, in the frog world, rather than put your, say you want a a water feature, rather than put your pump in the bottom of the enclosure and run all your tubes for the water feature and then foam over all that, Mm -hmm. drill through the habitat, right through the back, put the pumps output outside, foam the whole thing inside, and then specifically drill the areas after foaming that you want to bring the water back in that way you can put it wherever you want you know the whole process of having to route your wiring your your plumbing before you foam is you know these are little things that we can we can do differently um but yeah so so latching uh you know got me into the whole modification thing but latching latching is easy um it's but it's not it's not out of the box uh secondly with respect to the screen so the screen is conventional screening spline so we do use a rubber spline that runs the inside perimeter of the screen right um 
So its strength is uh, no different than any conventional Windows screen. You know, it can handle a good amount of strength, but uh, that that is what it is. Okay, but is is there like clips so that I can press down and lock the screen in place, or is the spline the only thing holding it in? So, so the whole screen, the whole top is like properly screwed in okay, to okay. the cage. Okay, so the was, top yeah. itself is not going to come out. Okay. If a snake is strong enough to push up on the screen and blow out the spline, that that could be something to consider. And okay. and if that were something that was a popular, look, again, I'm an engineer. All I think are like solutions, right? Sure, sure. So if that was something that was a a popular like guys, I don't trust it for snakes. Or I had a snake and and it got out or whatever. Um, my my solution would be to install a cover over the bottom to prevent the spline from being able to pop out. Okay. Yeah, I didn't you know follow you... what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, that? yeah, mm-hmm. but even if they're sure. pushing, okay. even if you're pushing up on it, it's still going. It's not going, you know, with the. It's going the in in our favor. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in our mm-hmm. favor. It's if it were flipped and they pushed up on it, yeah. they popped the spline right out. That's exactly right. It's oriented already in our favor for mm-hmm. pushing up. So if you've ever seen like a chameleon cage that has the the screening spline that holds, it's that same concept that retains the screens currently. Okay. Okay. I'm just trying to think but again, about stuff pushing But again, out. like like Tim said, like the, the top of it though is a solid piece, which is drilled into the thing. So it's not right. like, yeah, it's not, it's not an extra terror where if the little plastic latch breaks, the snake pops the lid off. You're Correct. not popping the yeah. lid off. I yeah. can assure the you. The animal, the animal would physically have to go through the screen. So if it, and there are reptiles that are yeah. strong enough to do that for sure. Right. But unless the animal is physically capable of pushing through the screen, it's not coming out. Okay. That's right. It's not popping the lid off, and it's not popping the door off either. Okay. Are there any and, plans for like a – oh, go ahead, Phil. No, I was just going to say is, is a lot of these companies now, what they're doing is somewhere on the latch, they're drilling like a pilot hole. So yeah. if I wanted to use like a cable lock or a zip tie or mm-hmm. something to secure it just in mm-hmm. case, is, do you guys have something like that or no? Again, that would be up so, to the, the user, the end user to drill, <laughs> drill a pilot hole, no different than we would drill air holes. So, Frank, pilots. correct me if I'm wrong, but in those cases, the, there's like a thing like this and the latch comes down like that, right? And then they're drilling this way. It's, a, it's an interlock. In some, there's there's different ways of doing it, but basically yeah. it's it's interlocking mechanisms of some way in which there's a hole drilled through which you can put uh, a lock, uh, you know, hasp or whatever it's called through. So the yeah. first the first launch of terrariums has the door pull in the middle and the latch on the top and on the bottom. Yep. Uh, future versions have the bottommost uh, latch directly above the door pull, mm-hmm. and at that point you could drill two holes and zip tie it or something like if it was a particularly dangerous species or something like that. But this is all <clears throat> the snake world. You know, keeping animals in enclosures, this is this is an educational experience for me on that one. So I'm awesome. I love yeah, it. Yeah, as far as like dart frogs and stuff, is there a, a Am plan I still for... here, guys? Yeah. yeah, I can hear you. You hear us, Tim? I don't think you can hear us. 
Nah. He may have lost connection. Now I can see, like, he's always yeah, there. Yeah, he's he's crystal clear on us. Yeah. I texted him so that we can hear him. Oh, there he goes. Okay, Frank just told me you guys can hear me, so that's good. Let we can hear you. I got the no, uh, video back on, and I'll be quiet we, in the meantime. We can hear you. We can hear you now. I just can't. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. I think we're back. Can you hear us, Tim? Or Milwaukee. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could talk. Um, yeah, uh, go for it. A little, I could go for that. Um, hopefully, Tim gets the, the tech figured out there. But um, for Dart Frogs, um, as is, I think it would work pretty well. Um, like, what you would have to do for as they are now is – is simply cover some of the, the screen. So like at, at this point now, like with launch, there's not going to be like a separate lid okay. um, for that, that retains more humidity, but like just as if you were to buy a glass terrarium, that is pretty much all screen on the top. Mm-hmm. You would just cover up as much of it as you see fit for your particular situation, right. you know, but like other than that, other than covering up as much of the screen top as you want, other than that, it's perfect for them because of the coroplast um, size and because of the plastic, you know, solid front that all does um, hold the, the, the heat and the humidity really well. Yeah. Cause that was my only thing is, you know, the open top, it would zap humidity pretty quick for a lot of those. So if you had a way to cover up two thirds of it, you know, so you could still keep a light on top. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, it doesn't, I don't know, especially it depends how you're keeping it. Are, are you doing automatic misting? Like, is it mm-hmm. like fully planted with soil in that? Then, it, then it's not really, doesn't really zap it that bad. Um, Cause it, it does insulate really well, but yeah, I mean, it is a full screen top and you know, some animals you don't want that. Um, so, but that would, at first that would have to be a, a customer modification, putting a piece of plexi mm-hmm. or a piece of glass on top of it. Um, but maybe that would be something to look at having like a dart frog line that has uh, a specifically yeah. made top that only has the you know smaller venting uh, on the top. Dude, yeah, I fruit, could totally fit flies this getting out. Rhino rat in this. Yeah, oh, you, also, de- you, you definitely could. I've kept Rhino out of his mind. At this, yeah, you definitely can. Yeah, I also I love <laughs> how just from like because I've done retail sales my whole life, just from marketing and, and retail sales and online sales, the cage pictures that we're looking on the website right now. Mm-hmm. They're obviously professionally done. They're, they're beautiful. It shows you exactly what's what it lets you see the other sides of the enclosure, but that's what it looks like in real life. And I've, I've yeah. been so disappointed in the past with other companies where you see this really cool, beautiful Photoshopped cage and then you get it and you're like, this is what I bought. And meanwhile, uh-huh. you know, you guys are showing us on your live videos and pictures that it does look exactly like this, even with that backdrop. So, Yeah. And we're, we're starting to do that more and more like in person too. like um, actually the, you know, here in Pennsylvania, I, uh, the Hamburg reptile show and then the Oaks, Pennsylvania reptile show. Um, like I'm, I now have tables at those places. I'm going to start being there pretty much every show. Like the last Hamburg one, we had a leap enclosure on the table and I'm going to do it again. We're going to do that again this Saturday. Um, but people would walk by and I had it fully planted with a giant male Jackson's chameleon in it. 
and it, I mean, it was a showstopper. People literally stopped when they walked by and they had no idea what this enclosure was, but like the most common uh, comment that we got was, man, that's beautiful. Well, that's a beautiful uh, enclosure. Yeah. Well, that's, let's, let's be honest about that. That's because Frank planted a beautiful enclosure and had a gorgeous <laughs> Jackson chameleon inside of it. Well, that yeah. didn't hurt. That didn't hurt. That didn't hurt at all. <laughs> Check out those catch pans, Phil. Um, who's driving here, Justin or Phil? Me, Justin. But if you click, okay, so Justin, if you click, yeah, there you go. So you see that 44 inch, that nests on a baker's rack. Oh, that's brilliant. You can see where the posts yeah. go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The other two are for if you have a terrarium uh, leaf habitat solo, like on a dresser or something like that. But the 44 inch one nests oh. on the rack. Gotcha. So yep. you can fit multiples on that one. That makes sense. And yep. um, and I do want to say that those are on those are more like insurance policies than anything because um, I have mine fully planted with automatic misting systems going multiple times a day, and they don't. And with that origami um, tray in there, and with like the the adhesion involved, they they don't leak. Uh, but those pans are just like a good insurance policy, you know, just in case. You know, yeah, there God, is one. God forbid it does overflow. It's not going to, you know, destroy. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That substrate, by the way, is really, really fantastic. We've yeah, been I still need to watch the video on it. Oh yeah. Well, actually, it's not one. So the videos, so so the 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 production videos, the ones that are scripted that Jack and I do, um, those are more infotainment, and we don't actually talk about our product our products as explicitly at all. Um. Mm-hmm. We're attempting to teach uh, the the community um, how substrate works, how to maintain a healthy substrate. Um, that's that's the first series that we produce. The next series that we've produced that we haven't released yet is the uh, the lighting series, where we talk about all the different aspects of lighting, the technology behind it, the way you discuss it, the way you refer to it, the way you measure it. And um, that's the one that I'm really looking forward to because coming from the reef aquarium world where the knowledge of lighting is something everyone, we just kind of take it for granted that most people understand a lot of basics of lighting. And in the reptile community, that's just not the case. And I think we would be a lot better as a group if we understood some basic terms and so uh, in some basic concepts. And so that's the, the thought behind the lighting, but all of it, I saw you were on the page on the website where, where we had the five parameters. Mm-hmm. All of it really goes back to this philosophy that we have that that I came up with and that I, I polished out with the team and Frank's uh, given his blessing on. And we all kind of go back and feel that this is the right way to look at husbandry. You divide up husbandry into the five parameters being one, daylight and photo period, two, UV, three heat four rainfall in the form of a misting system and five humidity in the form of a fogging system and if we all talk about the animals we keep and the specific husbandry requirements of those animals relating to those five basic parameters it becomes a lot easier for us to distill how to keep one animal versus another and how to all be on the same page about what we need to do to better keep a chondro versus a leopard gecko. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. 
the uh, Justin, you're muted. Yeah, dude. Uh, that is something that we talked about before too. Was you know, there's the whole sort of debate, the dead horse of you know PVC and racks versus you know naturalistic Bavaria. And my thing is, is you know, there is no one size fits all option on either either side. I'm, I'm a firm believer that you should do what what the recipe calls for with that given species. You know, there's some species where racks are perfect. There's some species where they're not. You know, and it's you have people that are that are hardcore into vivaria and think that that's the way it should be done but i know there's a handful of species that just would not do well in that even if it's if it's similar to a habitat they come from in captivity it's just not the same and then there's the same thing of you know keeping giant constrictors into small small racks where you know they can't even move around it's like that's not how it's supposed to be either and so it's the whole thing is just it's it's getting out of hand and it's ridiculous but it's like why can't we just this, do what's supposed to be done for the species this whole industry is shades of gray and yeah. we we have to stop um we have we have to stop uh like weaponizing one another to tell to tell one another that the way you're doing it is wrong um we really don't know right versus wrong. We it's shades of gray. We can have our ideas, and I think that that's valid. But we can at least be respectful. Frank and I have talked about this before in the chameleon world. You know, if you want to know the truth in the chameleon with chameleons in the wild, a carpet chameleon probably doesn't survive much longer than one year in the wild because of the harshness of the environment it comes from. Yeah. So. Does that mean that to be natural, we should provide that harsh environment? You know, no. But at the same time, in order to trigger a breeding response, we do have to provide an environmental trigger. And so how harsh should that environmental trigger be? I mean, there's so many questions now that are new that we've, you know, as we learn all this stuff. Uh, The whole debate for me kind of just goes out the window because it's like at the end of the day, we're all just keeping stuff in boxes. Yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, this, Whether this you're is... doing it in the form of a Ferrari or you're doing it in the in the way of like a ninety five Corolla, like does it really matter? Yeah. Well if it lives a long life and reproduces, I think exactly. that's a good that's a good measure. That's that's one I look at. What I was gonna ask is you guys have these awesome T five bulbs coming out and I, I'm a T five advocate um for both the aquarium stuff I used to do and reptiles now, but I always, I don't know anything about saltwater, but I've always been enamored with their ability to do moon phases and thunderstorms and all that stuff and d- different penetration levels of different heights of coral reef and Perfect stuff. Segue. So, right. Well, that's where, right. So, Tim, Tim, big, Tim is the guy that created all that. Right. Part so, I want to get into. Yeah. So, and I, I, I'm trying to, to, you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. So, our good friend Scott Iper in Australia, he just made a thunderstorm reenacting enclosure for some of his stuff. And he even has the audio with like the thunder and the crashes and the flashes and all that. And it's awesome. That's cool. Um, do you guys see yourselves getting into something similar with that for the reptile world, whether it has UVB or not? maybe syncing something up with either a weather app or having it where the the keeper sets the schedule for, you know, the quote unquote rainy season or time of week or whatever. So, okay. So I'm going to answer the question by saying, I'm not going to tell you how the nature of it, et cetera. Yeah. That's a lot in one sentence. My apologies. (laughs) Well, and, 
hey, and and it's a great conversation for you know sitting at the bar at a trade show, right? Where let's really geek out in terms of how we do things. But in terms of the direction, I don't. It's not a stretch to look at where we're coming from, and that's one of the reasons why we do try to explain the history of Ecotech when we introduce Leap. It's not hard to see where we've come from in the technology that we have available to us and the technology that we pioneered in the saltwater aquarium industry. To it, once you see that and once you understand that, it's pretty clear the direction we're headed. And I'm not going to pretend like that's because that's not the direction because it is. And um, yeah, the the next with within the next so much time. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. It's always next summer. It's always the near future. Yeah, next summer, right? Next summer. Yeah, the future is smart. The the near future. The future is absolutely smart, and it's within uh, reach. It's within reach, and we're the company to bring it to you. And um, and and everyone, everyone behind this, like, and I'm not just talking, you know, my team of of Jack and Kelsey. And Frank and and Brittany, who's my like coordinator, she's my right hand man, and uh, and David behind the camera, but also my business partners and the entire enterprise behind us has been watching this happen, has heard the needs of the reptile industry. Even operators on the assembly line have been like, "Wait, they don't have that. They don't have an app to control their lights in that market." Yeah. And and it's just like everyone's just like we're coming in. And uh so so yeah, I mean the nuances to how it all happens is I mean I I'm aware of them, I know them, but it's not it's not a conversation, but like that is where leap is headed. Um that we won't we will I hope that within 2 years we're not offering a T5 lighting solution at all that it's all LEDs. Yeah. Um, and by that, I mean specifically UV. Um, sure. And, uh, and you know, yeah, you will have an app. You will have an app by which you set up your lead products and, and program them all to work harmoniously with the five parameters of, of reptile husbandry. And, the, and there will be seasonal tables and, you know, yeah. Because we have friends that keep fish, and so they're always – you know, they're talking about this technology and they're always like, man, how come the herp community hasn't adopted any of this yet? So that's kind of the big question. And a big part of what I wanted to get into, you know, with having you on here coming from that, that realm, like how come the herp community is so slow to adopt things like that? Like how is there still why so is many rocks? Why isn't the, I don't, why is the fish community so far ahead? It's, the it's community so far ahead. It's because it's, of the, you, yeah. Yeah. You answer I, it. I, it's because of the, 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 it's the fact that Tim, you know, like the fact that it's still weird in a lot of people's eyes to be a reptile person versus a fish person. You say you have an aquarium at home and you, people literally don't bat an eye. You say you have, a, a, you know, a large, a six foot long terrarium with lizards or snakes in it. And people are like, what, you know, still, but, but. I do see it becoming more and more mainstream where they're becoming more and more of a, like a popular pet, you know, like an aquarium type thing. So I really just think that we are simply just behind, like our industry has just not been 
uh, as mainstream, not been as accepted uh, in the general population of, of pet keepers. It's always been niche. It's always mm-hmm. been lizard nerds and snake nerds and frog nerds. You know what I mean? And it's not been hamsters. It's not been aquariums. It's not been dogs and cats, but I, I do start to see it going that way. And, and that's, I, you know, there, there is a spot for this, you know, like it's wide open because it doesn't exist because we are 20, 30, 40 years behind the aquarium industry. Um, and, and like, you know, Tim mentioned some of the stuff and you brought it up though, like as awesome as the enclosures are, I love them. They're, they're like the thing that I'm like least excited about when it comes to leap and all the stuff that yeah. is possible for the future. Yeah. It feels know, like, like the, the enclosures are a, a it's the solid foundation. Point. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I just, I just think that it's, you know, I've, I've been the weird reptile guy at parties and at my friend's house my entire life as we you know all have. And I, I just think it's always been something that just hasn't been as accepted, but I, I think that, you know, with people wanting to be a little bit more maybe in touch with nature and have something naturalistic in their home. Aquariums do that, but also terraria do that too. And I think that people are starting to realize that dart frogs have been such a great like ambassador for that, but there's no reason. easier to maintain than saltwater tanks too. Oh my God. Oh my God. I had a, I had a six foot, uh, six foot in wall, um, saltwater tank. That was awesome. My dog's throwing up over here. Uh, but then I, I switched it to uh, he just comes over and hacks up. But then I switched it to a um, a terrarium, a dart frog terrarium, and um, and it was just like, well, now I'm bored because I have nothing to do because it's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why you start more. another one. And then I, and that's exactly right. And then you get another yeah. and another. That's, I did go from one tank to five very quickly. I, I yeah. have a personal opinion on that one too, which is in a lot of homes green and brown just looks a lot better than blue and purple. Sure. Sure. You, you know, know, it's, it's I, a I more it's natural also, color. We, we, we mentioned this on, on our other show, snakes and stogies quite often, but we all have animals that we keep in sterile or, or, or not elaborate enclosures, whether it be for their personal care, or just ease of maintenance. But all <laughs> of us in our friend group and our colleagues and stuff, we, we appreciate the window into the ecosystem. So the same way that you can have a reef tank in your house and like it's it's your view into the barrier reef or into the you know Bahamas or whatever kind of reef tank you're keeping, the reptiles can be very similar. I can have a window into you know East Africa, I can have a window into you know the Amazon or what have you. And Leap is gonna help facilitate that. I, I don't remember who had mentioned it, but I and someone's gonna correct me on my statistics here, but I'm pretty sure it's like as of 2020 or 20 maybe 2021 one in 25 americans either has a pet reptile or has knows someone who does something mm-hmm. to that extent mm-hmm. and, and i think that we're we're at the foreground and the foundation's yeah. solid so so yeah, yeah we've been we've been really researching the numbers uh lately um uh for a variety of different reasons you know leap was well on its way to happening one way or the other but we've really been trying to like quantify exactly what's going on here and what we've determined or or, there's no way to know for sure you have to kind of like trust some reports and trust some google data and whatever else so sure you can never know the, the real truth but what we believe has happened is that reptiles have let me back up 
the amount of time that we've all in this in this conversation have been into reptiles, they've been more of a, a fringe hobby. In the same way that saltwater aquariums were a fringe hobby in the '90s, it was like an obscure version of freshwater. Right? right it's like, right. oh, you're in a saltwater. That's kind of weird, but cool. Yeah. Right? Reptiles in general were an obscure just hobby, and what's happened now is that reptiles as pets. Leopard gecko, bearded dragon, crested gecko, blue tongue skink, and ball python. Those are probably the, the you know, the most godlike ones. But yeah, the, the core reptiles pets, ha- animals. Yeah, reptiles as pets have started to, they come in, they've knocked birds out. You know, parakeets aren't, they're not common anymore. Um, or they're not, the numbers aren't as big. Right. Um, and they're coming milk. in. Yeah, and, and <laughs> even for small, yeah, even for small mammals, they're becoming the go-to modern-day pet mm-hmm. that the average family, not us, okay, but the average family is saying, you know what? Let's sa- get Sally, Joe, or Timmy their first animal, and I think it's going to be a leopard gecko or a bearded dragon. I think they're ready for that responsibility. And the numbers are there that support that mentality. And so as, as a brand, we have a job because we know as hobbyists that when you have your first one, you're hooked and that, that doesn't matter whether you're a kid or an adult. Right. So, so as a brand, we have a responsibility to make sure that they succeed. We have an ethical responsibility and we have, you know, a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that they succeed at that hobby and selling a chameleon kit that is going to kill your animal within six months is not how you do it. Right. So, you know, that's what we all got to understand is it's more than just a hobby. You know, guys, there's 10 years from now, there's going to be people coming in. They're like, Oh, I've been having leopard geckos since I was six. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's infinitely better than the hamster who perpetually bites the kid. <laughs> hamster so. of the devil. I have a I have a really awesome hamster, so I'm a little biased. But <laughs> yeah, but you're a fish guy. You're weird. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite at home pet is my Claudius. Do you guys know turtles at all? So what's, I have a, a Claudius angustatus. It's a narrow narrow bridged uh, uh, musk turtle. Oh, okay. and I'm always nice. showing Frank this thing. And uh, Frank still insists he's, ob- he's obsessed with this. He's obsessed coolest, with this turtle. <laughs> no, this turtle is the coolest. He's this big, and he's a full-on snapping turtle that'll never get bigger than this big. And uh, he is so fun to watch. And he's entirely aquatic. He never he doesn't need a dry area. He just lives in his tank all day long. And he's super easy to keep. And he's super fun. And just don't pet him. It won't, it won't work out for you. That's cool. That's cool. So what are what are things that the herp community could or should adopt from the aquatics community in your opinions? LEDs for one thing. Um, apps, app driven products, you know, more intelligent, more pre programmable product line. Um something that's uh, a display in home. Something yeah. you know, I mean like for, for guys like us that are keeping large numbers of animals, you know, that's not always the case and it's always reasonable. But for your your uh, average person who's keeping pets, pet reptiles or or somebody or say a, a, a kind of a small scale um, hobbyist or breeder, 
you know, more aesthetic, making it look better for yeah. you, for your living space. You know, like I, you know, I'm, I'm getting better at it, but like, I remember like growing up, like it didn't look good. It looked like a bunch of stuff all thrown together. And, you know, that's how we've all done it for so long. And, you know, if you look at a, a, aquariums, it, it looks better. Yeah. How many, how many years did we all have fish tank decor with in a in a in a, in a, yeah. a reptile enclosure and there's a little spigot on the From side the for the tail. air pump yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah well what's the running joke that i think burke and them say all the time is like this is one of few hobbies where we'll spend you know ten thousand dollars on an animal and keep it in a thirty dollar setup yeah Can so I that talk right about there, that all the time <laughs> that right there is what needs to change if you want to talk about what reptile hobbyists need to learn from fish hobbyists so fish hobbyists will also spend a ton of money on coral. I mean, I'm talking a coral this big could cost them a thousand dollars, right? And it'll grow into a colony, but that's the hope. And only if you're good. Um, reptile hobbyists in general need to learn that there's uh, that quality quality costs more, but they're not going to learn that when the companies that are delivering products to the marketplace don't offer any value. And, you know, I'm not afraid to introduce a product with more value at a higher price point because it might not be the number one most adopted product on the market, but if it delivers something that is of benefit to the community, it'll catch on. Um, when we started Ecotech, the, we introduced a, a pump for about $350 a unit. And we were competing against pumps that were $25. And we built a enterprise out of that. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to, I don't blame the reptile community for the way, the way we treat, you know, product pricing right now. I just think we haven't had the, the right people delivering you know, truly exciting technology to the marketplace. And I think that, I think that when a company like ours comes in and starts doing it, that you'll see others as well. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll be honest too. When I was, when I was looking through the website the other day, I think Phil probably saw it. I was, you know, I looked at him and I was like, there's no way these are, you know, these gotta be price similar to the exos and the other stuff that we typically see. And then, our buddy Elijah Day sent me a screenshot of the price of a, a exo the same size as the one that was there, mm -hmm. and it was literally like over a hundred dollar difference. So I was like, "Oh, okay." Oh yeah, and all yeah, that stuff's like, gone up, man. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. we, we know as all of us work in our respective fields, we all know that you know the pandemic and shipping and manufacturing and crap that you know the mine in Brazil that's mining the iron ore, like all that stuff shuts down. It gets delayed. It slows down boats offshore. The whole shebang. And I recently went to go look at a new Exoterra for my girlfriend's snake, and I was flabbergasted at how much more they were from the last time I bought an Exo. You yep. know, so the fact that you guys are manufacturing in house and the articulation of the enclosure and the craftsmanship of the enclosure, and I don't have to, you know, cut off a pinky to buy it, that's phenomenal. Well, it's all about the fact that those cages, uh, you can ship about 10 times more in a container 
than you can a glass terrarium. Yeah, shipping on the, they, on the exos and stuff is just unbelievable. No matter who you and get, them, that's and that's why and no shrinkage and no shrinkage either from breaking. Yes. Of the, so explain uh, the glass. that just just for any viewers who don't know what shrinkage is, Frank. Why don't you explain that? Oh, sure. So you know, pet stores and whatnot, and and even like online suppliers, like maybe Josh's Frogs or whoever else sells his glass terrariums. Um, shrinkage is whenever you have a product break before it can be a break or be unusable before it can be sold to a customer, right? So the the amount of shrinkage involved in glass terrariums is awful, right? Because they are by the by their nature. It's not. Really it's fragile. not awful. It's not awful. It's atrocious. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think if right? you if you order a pallet of ten gallon, you know, uh, I don't want to name drop, but like marine, Whatever, one, right? Yeah. If you have, yeah. if you, if I have an, um, an account with Marineland or one of their, you know, subsidiaries, and I buy a pallet of ten gallon glass aquariums, I think it's like at least fifteen to twenty percent of them are shattered before it ever gets to the truck. Yeah, like that's crazy. Yeah, and then so we studied the supply chain. <laughs> well, no, so we studied the supply chain, and it's going to vary uh, from brand to brand, but uh, at least in the ter- glass terrarium world. The onus is on the, sh- the store to report back the damage, and then they get a credit for their next order. But that doesn't help the store. Right. And that's something that we needed to resolve. Imagine a stack of Leap Terrarium boxes with one built on top of it. That's a lot more inventory for that store than a shelf of glass you know yeah i mean you think about that too just that aspect of how much space they take up in in back rooms Mm -hmm. and things like that you know it's at the storefront at the point of purchase the glass terrariums take up a tremendous space that matters everyone is paying so when you consider the difference in dollars for the end user just through the economy of the manufacturing process of the leap habitat and then you also consider the efficiencies of in through the dish distribution cycle it, it's a win for everybody yeah yeah especially when talking about like pallets of tanks if i order 20 tanks and five are broken that's i still have to wait I, I, yeah i'm gonna get a credit but i'm still without those five yeah for however many inventory. weeks it may take to for who knows how long man. yeah exactly exactly well and with the crunch now i mean you might yeah. not get them yeah, especially for these days yeah mm-hmm. I mean that the the container prices will come down. So we're paying about twenty to twenty five grand. Normal price is twenty five hundred. So the container prices will come down. Wow. Yeah. We all, we all made the same sound. Collective <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, The Amer- amount of America collectively made the same sound. Yeah. 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 And now and now you know you can do the you can do the math if you go online and you you know you assume that. It, it, just pick one of our habitats um, and compare it to its glass equivalent, figure out how many you fit in a container. And then, you know, I'll give you the number of we're between 25% the, the space and 10% of the space yeah. in general. And, you know, in our flat pack configuration and uh, it's, it's a lot cheaper to, to ship. So it matters. It really matters. And uh, what's the, What's the lead time going to be once everything is finalized and flying off the shelf, so to speak? So, so if the product is in, so we're launching direct to the consumer 
And, and that's a big goal for us as an enterprise as well. We've never done that before. But nowadays with Shopify and everything else, and we're already, we already have a shipping department and we have a wonderful UPS account and FedEx, well, it's FedEx actually that we use. There is no reason not to try direct sure. to the consumer. You can pay via PayPal. You can, you know, you don't have to register or anything like that. Um, the, the typical turnaround for our enterprise for that kind of thing is within a couple of days before it ships. When the material is no longer in, in inventory, it will go off the website. You won't be able to buy it anymore. Okay. So I, I cannot, I don't have a crystal ball and I cannot right. tell you how long our initial order will last. Um, but I can tell you that within the year, we will get our, we're supply chain specialists. And within the first year, we will get our, our uh, supply chain right with, you know, deliveries weekly for the things we need and sure. that we will have ongoing, ongoing stock and, uh, and hopefully won't be one of those businesses that we all, you know, know that just don't have everything. I would, yeah. I would urge all of us to give a little compassion this day and age yeah, to course. any business, but, um, but this is our launch. We, we picked a number, we based it on math and research and we'll see how far we go through it. And if the velocity of the outgoing product is within reason, we should be able to recover from that quickly enough that, sure. uh, that we won't be out of stock for very long before the, the future of ongoing deliveries yeah. happens. But if for some reason we grossly underestimated the demand, there could be a period of a few months maybe where yeah. you won't be able to and get I, it after we sell through. And I imagine because you guys are manufacturers and I assume with all this logistical stuff and selling directly to the end user, you're, you have some kind of point of sale system where you're going to be able to ration yourself. So if you've got 10 units, you're not going to put all 10 on the line at once per se, because you want to be able to keep the flow going. You know what I mean? And well, I, everything I, will be for sale while it's available. Okay. Um, so right, what I was getting at the is inventory like, will be added to the website when when it exists and when it's gone it's done and you won't be buying it anymore okay so that was that was my my segue to nothing is necessarily uh you know shipped to order where you know I buy the the 30 breeder whatever you want to call it and you tell me okay well that's a six week lead time because we have to put it together or whatever or the yeah. uh the, okay. the the glock store mo of yeah it's in stock and then when you buy you get an email saying it's actually not in stock and we don't know when you'll get it but we'll bill you when it does come in yeah. no 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 <laughs> when you buy something from the website that's in stock finished good inventory cool so that means it's 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 on our books as a finished good and it's ready to ship. When that finished good is is exhausted, it will be off the website and you will not be able to buy it. Cool. I like it. Yeah, that's awesome. The uh let me see. So we asked some of our friends too if they had any questions and We've already answered that question. It was, what are you doing to be competitive with other cage brands? But we pretty much yeah. just covered all that. So That's like our mission statement, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the answer is everything. <laughs> and because, again, personal agenda question, 
the backdrops on them. Of course, I knew he was going to ask this. He's so weird about the pictures. He's. I want. I want the window into the ecosystem. So, like, I actually started getting. There's a company online that you can upload your own photo if you want, which I think is super cool, and I've done that. Um, And then they have like hundreds to choose from, but basically, it's a UV resistant self adhesive vinyl that goes in the inside of the enclosure. Yep. Mm -hmm. You guys. That's what ours is. That's okay. what ours is. Yeah. So it's a lamination. It's a UV resistant self-adhesive lamination that's machine applied um, at the factory so that, uh, it, you know, it's a good, it's a, it's a perfect application. So at this time to deliver uh, different backgrounds, we have to design and pre-purchase in volume. What is possible and this is like my my um, manufacturing geekness, right? Okay. But what is possible, of course, as the brand builds and earns rapport um, within the enterprise as being worthwhile of further uh, investment and everything else, is you know we could have a build build to order type thing where we sure. offer you. 25 different designs or 50 different designs and you pick one um and we we laminate the uh corrugated for you um we wouldn't do we wouldn't do a custom size that's getting too crazy but the laminating the corrugated is a reasonably easy thing to do so i mean is that something that i've targeted for 2022 no but is it a concept that we all have discussed and know that is possible yeah absolutely Um, so you know the other thing too is that you can just peel it off and put a well it doesn't really peel off that easily but you you could laminate right over the top of it with a different background if you wanted to cool answer my question that's always an option as well in fact that was our kind of go-to option was that we would sell potentially like a tube uh, with a vinyl background that that you could add on your own yeah i didn't know if if they came like that and the the end user had to actually adhere that themselves but but yeah no the jungle the jungle background is pre is pre-installed already And it has definitely been a topic of, well, what about black? What about white? What about desert? And then what about the myriad of other options? Right. And uh, it's going to be a conversation all throughout the year of, you know, what, how best to, to, uh, how best to, to deal with that, you know, to please as many people as possible, but also not be spending 80% of our time on 20% of the market. Right. I get it. I get it. Very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah. So we're uh, we're at like the two hour mark now, just about. So if anybody has any questions, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, without a doubt, Leap on Facebook. We're building Leap on Facebook. That's we started on Instagram. That was our primary, but Leap on Facebook's really, really big um, for us. So hit us up there uh leap on it's leap habitats on facebook it's easy to find instagram as well uh leap habitats on instagram also leap.tim leap.jack and leap.kelsey 
um, you can you can follow all of our individual pages and see our own unique perspective on the brand and what we're most passionate about. And you can follow Leap Habitats as well. But uh, Jack is monitoring uh, Leap Habitats on Instagram as well as Facebook. Facebook provides, I believe Facebook, well, actually, I'm not even going to say, we'll figure out how to get all of us behind all of those so that we can we can all be helpful. Once we launch, we will also have our customer service department at Ecotech um, trained in, in the Leap product questions. But as far as like reptile advice and things like that, it's not going to be right off the bat with our customer service. Uh, we know that it's something that we, we will probably have to begin hiring reptile focused customer service to man the phones because that is how we traditionally work is our if you want it if you have a problem with an ecotech product you call us and we are happy to help you including providing advice and so i can see the same thing happening for reptiles but for now if you want advice if you want like you know uh, hobbyist feedback the social media channels are the best way to get it yeah, man, I can't tell you how annoyed I get with my retail work and trying to get an actual human on a phone opposed to email or text or whatever it is. So that's commendable. Frank? Oh, yeah, you find me uh, on Facebook as well. Um, everything's through my business page, which is Living Art by Frank Payne. And that's everything is through that. I website, same name, YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook. All that's living art by Frank Payne. I'm on it all the time, respond to messages, you know, pretty well. Um, yeah, so uh, any of those. Frank's going to be, gonna be at a lot of shows too. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then Jack and I, and hopefully Frank too, are going to be traveling to shows throughout the year. Uh, you guys plan to go to Daytona? What? When is it? When is it this year? It's, I mean, it's the last weekend in August. August. It's not it's always, always the last weekend. It's always right around my birthday. It's like a right around August. Yeah, it's usually like right 1920. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was at Daytona as a kid, and I know, you know, it, it has some weight uh, for me. And I know Tinley is super popular um, right now. And, and those are kind of the big ones that I would like to hit for sure. Um, we have a budget. And it's just a matter of finalizing what shows we're going to go to. And at the point that it is finalized, we will be publishing them. Cool. Yeah, it's, um, it's a August 20th and 21st of the two uh, customers. Well, I know I'm not on vacation those days, so that Best works. Best weekend of the year. <laughs> yep. Yep. Reptile Mecca. That's right. So, sounds good. Day after my birthday, so I'll buy a bunch of stuff for myself <laughs> yeah and that, that's the cool thing about daytona is that you know we always joke it's about the the animals are a bonus it's about hanging that's out a part it's a party chosen yeah. family yeah and yeah, so many cool. people come and make a week out of it with their with their family their actual families you know so uh, if you guys definitely look into vending and or just showing up you know yeah, i hope so that sounds great yeah. well i mean I, I know i'll be there it's just a matter of whether or not leap will have a table Fair enough. I assume there's a lead time, and we're probably well past it. <laughs> uh, you'd, you'd be surprised, man. So I would definitely check into it. 
So okay, yeah, they have people back out last minute for booths and stuff pretty regularly yeah. from the sounds of it too, especially late, like late, oh. late the year. So and because right. it was so successful last year or and the year before even that they expanded the number of vendors that they allow. So oh, that's good. They're 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 constantly adding more new vendors. So even with the space they have, I feel like they could even add more than they do. Like they don't. Yeah, but I think it like comes down. Corner, yeah, know? but I think it comes down to like the convention center, like the city ordinances of how yeah. many how many fire vendors code and all yeah, that. Fire, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we really appreciate y'all coming on. Thanks for having yeah. us. Hundred percent, guys. It was awesome. Great first this episode of the year. Huge. I mean, guys, this is really appreciated from my perspective too, because we just launched three days ago, and to be invited to to sit and talk on a, a video podcast like this is like a real honor for me, and I really, really, truly appreciate it. We're just spoiled because we got the first one. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. That's, that's the game that, that all the podcaster folks play. You know, like Frank's been on Lizard Brain, and I know he's been on some other stuff, and so it's like I've wanted to have him on, but I try not to do it within a you know a month period or two month period or even longer than that you know of him being on other stuff mm-hmm. so that we're not just having the same episode yeah yeah you know? and i try to usually target something in specific in particular like carpet chameleons is definitely something i want to talk to frank about more at some point in another episode sounds great uh you know gear lattice obviously um so we'll have to make that always happen. always happy to come back man for sure awesome thanks guys mm-hmm. yeah we appreciate cool. it yeah thanks a lot the show was uh, brought to you by Steve Snakeshore and his Venom Hot Sauce. We completely forgot Steve at the beginning of the show. We did. So Our apologies, Steve-O. He'll understand. He will. We were excited. It's the first show of the year. It, it, he'll laugh. He will. Um, we will see everybody Monday night at 9 for Snakes and Stogies. Four. Four? I don't know. I think it's 104. It's somewhere in the hundreds. I think it's Casey was 103. Okay. Then, yeah, yeah. 104. All right, everyone have a good evening. Subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, We have a Patreon now, minimum of a dollar a month. You can help support the network. Do it, don't do it. We're okay either way. Yeah. We just appreciate the listenership. We do. And uh, don't forget to go on uh, all of your major podcast providing apps and networks to look for Venom Exchange Radio with Nipper and myself, the new Venomous podcast. Uh, it's on Apple, Google Play, and Spotify now, so definitely check it out if you want to listen to Venomous stuff. It's very good. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Fully recommend it. All right. Everybody have a good evening, good morning, good day, whenever you're listening or watching this. We'll uh, see you later. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Bye.